0: Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you.
1: Hey, when I was in high school and we we had like a thousand person auditorium, and our pastor would bring up like a dozen footballs, and he would just throw them out to the congregation. And I thought about doing that this morning, but I don't trust myself and I don't trust you all, so I'm, I'm not gonna do it. Plus, I just have no idea how to tie it into a sermon. Like, I just, I don't, I, I don't know how he did it either, but I remember him doing something. So, you can't tell now, but I used to be a long distance runner, and I ran my first and only marathon in Miami the winter before I left for seminary in Pasadena. I meticulously trained my body to run dozens of miles a week. I think I got up to like 60, 70 miles a week um, before the marathon. But each and every one of those miles was logged on very flat terrain in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And as it turned out, there's no such thing as flat land in Pasadena. And so one Saturday morning, I ran up Lake Avenue for seven miles straight uphill, and it was slow, and it was grueling. But my, my body seemed to handle it pretty well. And then I turned around and I looked downhill and I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be fun. The next seven miles are gonna be way easier. And they were, they were much easier and much faster. But guess what? My body was not used to the impact of running downhill as my feet literally pounded the pavement. And so that morning I developed a horrible stress fracture and lived the next two months in a walking boot, and I have not run long distance since then. There are two reasons I share this story. First, I wanna boast to you about my pre-dad bod accomplishments. (laughs) And second, that walking boot actually helped me land a wife I met Lalia at a gathering of her PA school classmates. My friend's wife happened to be in PA school and they invited me to a party where they promised that there would be a majority of highly employable women. And so I felt like it was my duty out of respect to oblige and go to this party. That sounded amazing, actually. And so at this soiree, I met a young woman who was able to keep up with my sarcasm And she just was relentless about making fun of my boot. And so naturally I asked her out on a date and the rest is history. But what attracted me to Lalia was her beauty. And while her physical beauty is a 10 out of 10, if you saw her this morning with her baby bump and black dress on, she was so cute. My reasons for pursuing her had to do with the beauty of her character. She's gentle and sweet strong and faithful she's constantly patient and kind she's really free-spirited but yet somehow she's grounded too and above all else she knows that she is the daughter of god and her identity is rooted in that and likewise the beauty of christ's character is often the reason that attracts us to follow him yes he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he is actually God in the flesh. But Jesus is absolutely and astonishingly, astonishingly breathtaking. I asked a friend of mine, Ben Pallone, who serves with their high school students, to just give a brief explanation of why Jesus is worth following to him. So let's hear what Ben has to say.
0: Yeah, I believe in Jesus because I believe in his compassion. I believe that Jesus came to those that weren't perfect and he would continually seek those people out where they were. If you take the woman at the well or if you take the woman caught in adultery, he always came to where they were at their place and he always showed them compassion. And that's what really drew me to want to believe in Jesus was I saw the difference in him reaching out to people and really loving them for who they are and showed them compassion so sometimes I've seen kind of in my life the beauty of Jesus shine through in specific moments is When I've been a part of the youth ministry with the high school kids, they strive for a relationship with Jesus for themselves. You see that moment in time when they make the decision that it's not just something that they go to be a part of, but it is genuinely something that they feel like they want to run after for the rest of their life. So the question of why should I believe in Jesus, it's because jesus will always run after you no matter how many times you fail or how many times you fall no matter how many times you mess up or screw up jesus is always there with compassion and love just there to be with you with open arms and that that is the true beauty of jesus
1: so ben is a man who understands that jesus is so much more than just a religious leader. He is our compassionate savior who chases after us and meets us where we are. Jesus is undoubtedly the greatest human to ever walk the earth. And so for the next eight weeks, we'll be gathering on Sunday mornings to explore the beauty of Christ. Together we will examine his encounters with everyday people in scripture. And our hope is that you'll be so enthralled with the character and attractiveness of Christ that you will learn these eight stories and be willing to share them with friends and family. Now you don't need to memorize these verses word for word. Just simply remember who Jesus encounters, what did they experience when they encountered him, and what attractive character qualities did Christ exude. So we'll start off this series with A simple and short passage open your Bibles or an app to mark chapter 1 we'll be reading verses 40 through 45 and as you find that let me pray for us father as we open up your word we recognize that uh, you are living and active and we pray now that you would be our teacher and that you would speak to us use your Holy Spirit to illumine these words and make them real it's in your name Amen So beginning in Mark 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. I love reading the the Gospel of Mark. So it's the shortest of these four Gospels. And it's, it's as if he's so excited about telling these stories about Jesus that he can't help himself and the pen or his scribes not fast enough. And so he's, if you read Mark's Gospel, it's like, and then Jesus did this, and then he did this, and immediately he went and did this, and then, and then, and then, and then. And there's hardly any transitions. It's like he's on Mountain Dew or coffee or something like that. He's just very excited. And in this morning's passage... Mark recounts the story of a leper who lays it all on the line in order to reach Jesus. And it's not jam-packed with a bunch of details, but the depth is extraordinary. So up to this point, Jesus' ministry is in its early stages, but he's already amassed a pretty sizable following. His growing popularity has reached the ears of this desperate man. And so the term leper has a much broader uh, meaning in scripture. It encompasses various kinds of skin diseases. But we most commonly understand this disease to be associated with infectious lesions that when not properly treated can lead to permanent nerve damage and deformities. Fingers and toes can become gnarled and shortened. Crippling of hands and feet can occur. And in the worst cases actually, paralysis or blindness can set in. But as for this leper, we simply do not know how long or how severe his physical symptoms were. But regardless of the severity of this particular man's symptoms, the devastating social and spiritual pain of the disease would have perhaps been even more destructive because leprosy resulted in one being unclean and ostracized from society and even from one's own home or family. So socially, the commentaries say that being a leper was being equivalent to basically a corpse. And so that makes them zombies, right? So did you know that zombies were in the Bible? The Bible's fun, y'all. There's zombies in there. So let's just take a moment to extrapolate and let this sink in. This man could have been a father, a son, a brother, an uncle, a husband, or all of these things. And since this disease first emerged, he would have been quarantined to a leper colony. He would have been a literal outcast, cast out from the city walls and put in a community surrounded by mangled men and women. Max Lucado does a brilliant job of painting a picture of this scenario in his book, Cast of Characters, Lost and Found, Encounters with the Living God. And Lucado imagines that the leper would say something like this. For five years, no one touched me, no one, not one person, not my wife, not my child, not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me, they spoke to me. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch, not once. No one touched me. What is common to you I coveted handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into, to be caught in a crowd, for my shoulder to brush against another's. But for five years, it has not happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not even welcome in my own house." While there are quite a few of creative liberties taken here, the point remains. The social consequences were as severe as the physical. So the leper in our passage is most certainly suffering. And it is in this state that he makes a reckless decision. He risks injury to himself and, Injury to others as he approaches Jesus with this profound request to be made clean. So picture this crowd screaming in panic as this deformed beggar makes his way closer to Jesus. Just moments ago, people would have been pushing in to catch a glimpse of the new rabbi in town. But as the shouts of unclean grow louder and louder, the horde begins to scatter, giving a wide berth so that they would not be deemed unclean themselves or even worse, contract the disease. This was no small act of faith that the leper demonstrated because curing leprosy was seen as requiring a miracle on par with raising someone from the dead. He is begging for Jesus to to perform a work of power that has yet to be seen during his ministry. And on top of the physical healing, the helpless man is requesting to be reinstated back into society. And how do we see Jesus respond? He's moved with pity, or as some translations say, he's moved with compassion. And this word in Greek in verse 41 is splanchnizomai. It's the verb form of a word called, it's splanknon. That's all the Greek I'm gonna give you today. And splanknon means um, one's feelings or, or innermost self. Literally, it can mean your entrails, and in certain forms, it means to have your bowels yearn. And that's what they say about Jesus. Have you ever loved someone so much that it hurt? You know, the kind of love where you cannot remember or even imagine life without that person. The thought of losing them actually makes you sick to your stomach, and when they hurt, you hurt. It's a really weird sensation, but you know it when you experience it. As a modern millennial parent, it is my duty to take massive amounts of pictures and videos of my son, and then we put him down to sleep, and we go into the next room, and we lay in bed, and then we look at the pictures and videos of our son. We're just totally those parents. And we found this really cool um, iPhone feature. It's probably been there for a long time, but I didn't know where it creates these memory videos for you based on like these random pictures. And so this week, I think it made the best one yet. And so here's a little glimpse into our family from last winter. So do you wanna know what my my first reaction to seeing that video was? It was pain, like literal heartache because that's how much I love my boy. It's, It's completely weird. Like, I feel pain when I see that, and I look at his pictures. It's because I love him so much, and I want what's best for him, and I want to protect him, and I want to comfort him when he's sick or injured. And the beauty of Jesus is that he loves all people this way, but to a much, much greater degree. He is compassionate, and thus he suffers with us. So it pains Jesus to see a child of God wrecked by the consequences of sin entering the world. Leprosy and the corresponding social and religious isolation actually anger Jesus because this is not the way it's supposed to be. So on this occasion, we see God's son take pity on this man and he performs an act of power the likes of which have never been seen before. But if we focus too much on Jesus's capacity to heal, then we might miss his great capacity to love. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. Let me remind you of a couple things. First, Jesus proves throughout scripture that his touch or his presence are not required for him to heal. Second, Jesus knows, as a rabbi, that this man is ceremonially unclean. Jesus' touch was absolutely unnecessary. But this is the God we serve, a God who touches the untouchables of the world. And this would have been a sight to behold. The leper and Jesus would have been center stage with the crowd pulled back and forming a circle around the two of them. And those lucky enough to have a view would have seen a rabbi who was unlike any other ones, he was willing to get dirty. Jesus was willing to sacrifice life and limb in order to let this man know that he was loved. And after this stunning event with witnesses all around, Jesus emphatically warns the man not to say anything, but instead to go and perform the proper rituals in order to be a cleanse um, according to Jewish law. The thinking here was that after he did this, the man would have gotten his family back, his home back, his community back, and essentially his life back. But the leper seems to be so excited that he takes a detour. The Bible tells us that he spoke freely about what Jesus had done. And it is, it's really no wonder that the leper would behave in this way. He had just been touched by the hand of God. He was a beneficiary of divine compassion. I mean, would you all have been able to keep your mouth shut? I know I wouldn't have. I'm, honestly, the heck with religious decorum and, and ritual in this case. A man's life was just saved. So as a result of this man's testimony, and then we can, we can safely assume that the other witnesses probably had some pretty convincing testimonies as well, Jesus' fame begins to spread like wildfire. His healing touch and his empathetic heart attracted so many to him that Jesus has to get out of town. Two weeks ago, I got out of town with a few uh, people from the church where we went to a national gathering for leaders in our denomination. And the first keynote speaker, a guy named Ed Stetzer, challenged a room full of pastors and church leaders to essentially do what this cured leper did, to spread Jesus' fame. And in order to theologically back his point, Dr. Stetzer focused on four commissions that Jesus gives his followers. And these commissions can be found in John 20, Matthew 28, Luke 24, and Acts 1. But when you combine all four, this is what we get. We, meaning those who have submitted to Christ, are sent to all different kinds of people with a message empowered by the Spirit. But why would a room filled with hundreds of Christian leaders need to hear such a basic message? This is essentially the Great Commission, right? Partly because here we are, 2,000 years later, and we still isolate the wounded. We continue to treat people like lepers. We quarantine the others. And ultimately, we blemish the beauty of Christ. And still to this day, our brothers and sisters are being cut off from our sympathy and affection. The handicapped know this, so too do the unemployed and uneducated. Single mothers experience this, and the same with those who have mental illnesses or addictions. And it's not just the disenfranchised who need the healing touch of our beautiful savior. We have this beautiful community on the peninsula where we have a lot of prosperity here, a lot of healthy people, and yet there are so many thousands of people who are craving the message that we bring. So what can we do? First, we can remember what Jesus did and why we follow him. And this series will hopefully help you with this part as we challenge you to learn these stories and be able to share them with others. And then second, we can simply be more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The aroma of Christ is most likely referring to the fragrance created by Jesus's sacrifice. His life and death were a pleasing and sufficient offering to God. Our lives are to be just as aromatic and sacrificial. And the way that we smell like Jesus is by heeding the advice found in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are called to give our lives in pursuit of God and his kingdom. And this is something that we've been focusing on with our high school students this this semester. The idea that our lives are not even our own. We are to surrender our time, talents, and treasures so that we might bear the image of our Savior. So I want us to take a few moments and ask ourselves these three questions. Are others attracted to the Christ-like beauty that they see in you? Does your life reflect the life of our deeply compassionate savior? And finally, do you like the healed leper speak freely about what Christ has done for you? You want to know my three answers? They are yes, sometimes, and sometimes again. Time and time again, when I act like Christ, people enjoy, actually enjoy being around me. And they feel nourished. But that's not all the time. And as I speak to you today, I speak freely about Christ from the safety of this church. But it is still hard for me to do, even as a pastor, out there in the big bad world. What will they think? Many of us will go home and root for either the Eagles or the Patriots and we will put our allegiance behind one of those teams, put it all over Facebook, but we are scared and timid to declare our allegiance to Christ. I'm transparent before you this morning because I have this feeling that those who are here exploring Jesus or might have questions about him would just like some authenticity. And listen, We all know that we could use work in these areas. I know it, you know it, and I'll tell you who really knows it. Non-Christians know that we need work in this area. You've probably heard this quote that Gandhi most likely didn't say. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. We need help. Pastor Rick is passionate about helping us in this area, and that is why he encourages people to pick a spiritual habit and a Christ-like character quality to develop. And we fully recognize that the hard work of sanctification is alone the property of the Holy Spirit. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit that can bring us to sanctification. But rather than just sitting around and twiddling our thumbs, we can actually join him in it. And mysteriously, he works through us as we partner with him in bringing about sanctification in our lives. And so we can engage in scripture reading, focused prayer, outreach, corporate worship. You're all succeeding at that right now. Serving God's people, generosity, and or joining a small group. And we can focus on growing in these areas, developing a grateful heart, becoming an encourager, becoming slow to anger, overcoming worry, becoming receptive and listening better, focusing on loyalty and engaging in less bad-mouthing, becoming quick to forgive, focusing on self-control and rooting out contempt and replacing it with humility. If we choose to commit to these things as a church, then this corner of Ocean and Unipero will smell a whole lot like Christ. People will be drawn here by this enticing fragrance, and when they come, may they experience the beauty of Jesus. Remember how I said that Jesus was willing to risk life and limb in order to demonstrate his love to the leper? Remember that, it was just a few minutes ago? Hopefully. Well, in a few moments, we get the privilege to draw near to the communion table because Jesus sacrificed himself. He risked it all in order to let you and I know that we are loved. Perhaps the most beautiful thing that Christ did was die for you and I while we were yet sinners. He was moved to compassion for us in such a deep way that he reached down from heaven and touched the same people that turned their backs on him. So let us remember how magnificent how gracious and how wonderful our God is. And for those of you who are suffering, perhaps feeling isolated, please approach the table with faith in the fact that our God welcomes, He heals, and He restores.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.